John Cottingham is Professor Emeritus in Philosophy at the University of Reading. In this audio recording, he's talking to Christina Kimiso, author of Book 4, about the philosopher Descartes. John, I would like to start by asking you a very simple but very fundamental question. What is the aim of Descartes' method of doubt? What did Descartes want to achieve by doubting everything? Right. He, he felt that many of the things he'd been brought up to believe were unreliable. And he was particularly interested in replacing the science, what we would call the science of his time, which he thought quite rightly was full of unreliable assumptions and explanations which didn't really work. So he wanted to clear away the rubbish. He uses the metaphor of sweeping everything away and starting right from the foundations in order to build something in the sciences that was stable and likely to last. I'm quoting approximately from the first paragraph of the Meditations of 1641. In order to clear away the rubble, he uses doubt. He asks, am I absolutely certain that this is true? So the doubt is essentially a kind of filter or sieve. He wants to use it to filter out everything that's unreliable, dubious, shaky, and be left only with what's absolutely solid. Can you explain to me how Descartes' method of doubt works? It has several levels. The first level is doubts about the senses. And here he follows a long tradition, which goes back to St Augustine and to Plato, of casting doubt on the senses as, as an essentially unstable source of knowledge. The senses, Descartes says, sometimes deceive us. One famous example is the stick in water which looks bent. My sight tells me it's bent. Actually, it's straight. Another example is the sun, which, if you look up in the sky, looks to your eye about the same size as the moon, whereas actually it's immensely, vastly, almost unimaginably bigger. So the senses don't always reveal what's correct. Um, so that's the first level, doubting the deliverances of the senses. And then even more radical is the second level, where he takes propositions or statements that you might think were immune from doubt about the senses. For example, here's a table in front of me. Seems absolutely obvious. And yet, says Descartes, I might be dreaming, in which case I'm not sitting here in the studio with a table in front of me, I'm, I'm still at home in bed. So even here is a table in front of me might be doubted. And then the third and final level is the malicious demon. This is a scenario, an imaginary scenario, that there's a powerful and malicious devil or demon who's beaming into my mind all sorts of false sensory information. For example, my impression that there's a planet Earth, that there is a sky, Earth, sea. All these data may just be imaginary 
impressions that the demon is feeding into my mind, rather like the modern scenario of the Matrix, perhaps, in order to deceive me. There may be, says Descartes, no external world, no sky, no earth, and all these things may just be illusions or fantasies. So Descartes doubts, it seems, everything, but is there something left, something that cannot be doubted for Descartes? Yes, there is. Perhaps the best-known example is the famous cogito ergo sum, I am thinking, therefore I am. However much I push doubt, if I start doubting I'm thinking, I'm still thinking, because doubting is a kind of thinking. And if I'm thinking, then there's nothing that could make it true that I don't exist, at least as long as I'm thinking. Of course, I might stop existing at any time. But as long as I'm thinking, then it must be true that I exist. Are these a sort of the foundations on which Descartes think he can bit by bit reconstruct his knowledge, but also his trust in his senses and in his powers of reasoning, etc.? Yes, these very simple truths, which I can just intuit, if you like, I can just see they must be true, these are the foundations. And from these, he will build up an entire system of knowledge. Of course, in a way, there's an element of faith even there, that the mind's fundamental powers are reliable. As he later put it, a reliable mind is God's gift to me. So it may be that, that some sort of trust based on, ultimately, on his creator is smuggled in there or presupposed there right at the beginning. But that would take us on to a, a much bigger issue. Well, not everybody has been a fan of uh, Descartes' method of doubt. In particular, I would like to ask you about what Hume said about Descartes' type of doubt. First of all, Hume thought that Nobody can really doubt everything as Descartes did. But more important, I think, Hume wrote that Descartes' doubt uh, would be entirely incurable, that there would be, in a way, no uh, coming back from such doubt. Do you think Hume is right? I think he is. If you doubt absolutely everything, everything, you could never really get going on thinking in the first place, on meditating. So even to start his meditations, Descartes must take something for granted. For example, he must take for granted his basic grasp of meaning, of language, of the connections between concepts. So there's no such thing as sweeping everything away. My own view is that Descartes doesn't try to destroy everything. He systematically invites us to doubt the senses, to doubt external objects, to doubt fundamental data that, that may, may not be produced by the world at all. But I think he still relies on basic rules of meaning and logic and language which he needs. So I'd accept the criticism but say that Descartes, in a sense, meets it. Um, I would like to move to something uh, slightly uh, different, but, I mean, uh, intimately connected, of course. Um, you have written, uh, you, John, have written that Descartes aimed to find permanent foundation 
of knowledge rests on a misconception. Can you explain why? Can you explain what you meant by that? Yes. There's a model of knowledge which Descartes inherited from his classical forebears, from Aristotle particularly, which that knowledge must always be deduced from prior and better known premises. And these premises must ultimately go back to something which is self-evident. And that would give you a structure of permanent, solid, guaranteed knowledge. Nowadays, I think most philosophers, and I think I'd agree with them, would say that that is overambitious. We can't achieve permanence in that way. If you think of how science works, it doesn't really aspire anymore to build an edifice of totally reliable, unshakable knowledge. On the contrary, it proceeds by revolutions, challenges, changes. It constantly modifies what's gone before, And this is, as the philosopher of science Karl Popper put it, an unending quest. We never reach a bedrock of total certainty. As, again, Popper says, it's a matter of conjectures which are then tested, possibly refuted, may have to be modified. So that search for permanence, I think, is probably a mistake. However, in in Descartes' favour, we do, I think, want our science to be reliable. We don't want preconceived opinions. We don't want prejudices. We don't want to accept things just because we've been told them. But we want to try and get to what is well-supported, what is reliable, what is... um, as fundamental as we can make it. So I think there's something that's right about Descartes' quest, but something perhaps that's a bit over-ambitious. So do I understand you correctly? You think that the critical part of Descartes' project in a way is more valuable to us than his method or his aim to construct a completely stable edifice of knowledge? Yes, I think the critical part his insistence that we shouldn't rely on received authority but should strike out on our own, in a way, in the quest for truth. That dynamic, critical project is is crucial. It's part of what we still mean, I think, by science. The scientist takes nothing for granted, prepared to challenge everything. So this is already a very good reason to, to read Descartes, I think. Are there other reasons to read Descartes nowadays? Yes, I think that there are many. One which we've covered is this idea of rejection of authority and a a, a critical spirit of inquiry. A second would be that Descartes has a conception of philosophy as systematic. He, He was very interested in the idea of a unified template for knowledge. And in his science, he found that in mathematics... He had the idea that however complicated reality looked, it operated in accordance with ultimately very simple mathematical principles which were absolutely clear and distinct. 
He may have got the details wrong in his own science. In fact, his own science was swept away by Newton soon after his death. But the ideal of mathematical science is one we still have, and I think it's quite inspiring and quite important, very important. The idea that different areas of human knowledge connect and fit together is a fascinating notion. The other important element, I think, is the idea of reason. Descartes often called a rationalist, which means, roughly, that he had a belief in the power of reason to uncover the truth. There are elements of that that are problematic. We clearly can't use reason alone. We need other things like the data of experiments and so on. But the image of the inquirer who sets out armed with the tools of what Descartes called the light of reason, the lumen naturale, the natural light, or the lux rationis, the light of reason, and is prepared to accept only what can be rationally shown to be the case, that, I think, is another inspiring ideal. Okay, thank you very much. Thank you. From the Open University. For more information, go to www.open.ac.uk forward slash use.